Hello, this is Christopher Drake from Low Country Stories and Guest, and I'm proud to present to you our very first video interview, and who would have that honor? Me, mainly, and who would be bestowing that honor but Mr. Sean Stone himself, writer, filmmaker, and the host of probably what would be my favorite TV show on Gaia. All right, well, here we are. Uh, where are you located there, Sean? Oh, we're hanging out of Sebra. And uh, yeah, just enjoying nature at this time when everyone's on quarantine and lockdown. I'm you know, having the privilege of just being out in nature and uh, having some solitude here. I was watching some of your videos. I'm like, wow, is that planet Earth? I mean, <laughs> you know, it's amazing. But, you know, I mean, cities and the urban, it, it corrupts to me, and uh, it wears you down, and you really need to get out in nature and recharge every now and again. I'm glad to see you doing it, especially in these times that are kind of trying as they are. And, I mean, it's really it's really an interesting time we're living in, you know, <laughs> at least. I mean, you're not interested in a positive way. Yeah, not in every way, in every way. I mean, so many things to say about it, but... Um... You know, it's like the dark and light are really coming to the forefront here and having their their way with each other, starting to enter it. And it's this is the opportunity before us, basically. Do we light up? Do we rise into our higher frequency and octaves? Or do we fall back into that fear modality that is so preternatural and animalistic within the human psyche? And obviously, that's been our the bane of our existence for so many centuries has been our fear and our ability to just fall into fear and turn it, you know, whether it's, uh, fear of another, right? An enemy, a, another race, another religion, another country. Uh, now it's fear of your neighbor, anyone that has corona, that's spreading corona. I mean, this is all that program, right? That's so deep-seated and so uh, so really the you know the essence of, of evil in our world is that fear. Whereas the love vibration, I feel coming through, and that's this is the opportunity now, really, to uh, to rise into a new reality. I believe so, and. Um we've really kind of had things rearranged a bit and aside from you know obvious economic impacts and whatnot i don't see it as being such a bad thing so far um we're spending more time with our families we're spending more time outdoors and once again i mean it's um we're giving we're giving the world a a, a little chance to catch a breather so to speak too you know okay, i'm sure you yeah. that oh yeah i mean this is you know, again, there's, as I said, there's a there's a real battle going on between dark and light, and then at, at certain levels, I think this was a planned pandemic, as they say, you know, a planned uh, release of, of a bioweapon. Um, at the same time, it's healthy because we got out of our cities, we got out of our, our loop and our pattern of being in constant um, cycles of, you know, go to work and worry about, you know, worry about, uh, you know, all these daily duties that we have, right? Our, our routines, our daily routines. And all of a sudden we was able to break that pattern and come within ourselves and take off the social masks and all things. Very true. Uh, I totally, you know, who am I? We, um, we really is, when we're searching for balance, I mean, what not, you know, of course, that's that's 
mostly an individual thing, but as, as, a, as a whole, how do you think the balance of the world is right now between the light and the dark? <laughs> is it too much? Is it still way on the dark side? No, no, because I see it like I see it like this. I see the dark side is rolling out 5G. They want to basically turn us into the Internet of Things, the total, um, you know, uh, virtual control of our reality through everything from chipping, nanotech, uh, the, you know, the, the metallic, metallicization of our lives. Right. That's why, you know, you're being censored on Google. You can't talk about 5G on Google. You can't talk about <laughs> certain things. Right. They're like coming down so hard on Google and Facebook and all this stuff. Censor, censor, censor. And then I see people like spreading information about the cabal and the Illuminati and the dark side and their agenda. At the same time, it's like, wow, people are waking up at the moment that the dark side is like, okay, we're going to lock down. But the dark side can't win because I keep telling people the dark side can't create new. The dark is ultimately a feeder. It just, it feeds like a parasite, right? It feeds on that which already exists. It feeds on life, right. kind of like the virus. And so, you know, the virus itself, you know, is a, is a, I say like an extension of that artificial intelligence. It's an extension of that dark intelligence, which can't create new, which is what we are as human beings. We're living beings that are looking to create something new. And I feel that, I felt that coming for a while now was like the death of the human was just recycling old patterns, recycling old thoughts, recycling old movies. And then at a certain point it was like, no, life is going to win here. Life prevails always. So this is really, I think the light is, is getting brighter and more intense here. And actually like the entire frequency of the planet, we're shifting, it's arising galactically and you know, post 2012, we're rising the galactic plane. So the light's just going to come blinding for a lot of people. And it's going to really destroy their whole reality. And it's going to prevail. It's just, you know, what does the actual balance look like? It's extreme. It's, pol it's like extreme polarity that comes before the integration that is uh, inevitable, the integration. Well, I think, I think a good analogy, too, because along with what you're saying is someone who's never been out of a boat, and they spend time on the water, they're in this boat, and suddenly they see a leak, and they realize that the boat is not, in, I mean, it's, it's not, uh, it's not a uh, invincible thing, that you've got to learn to swim. And mm -hmm. you've got to get out there and get in the water a little bit and start swimming and figure it out because society, being the boat, is paper thin. I mean, we're seeing that now that, you know, huge measures have to take place to try to uh, buffer us from the lifestyle that we've been accustomed to, paycheck to paycheck, not mm -hmm. saving uh, uh, food and resources, that sort of thing. And now we see a leak in the boat. Now it's time to learn to swim on our own. And that can lead to a lot of good things because the ocean's a big place. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I always say the I always say the the ocean is the unconscious mind, right? And the unconscious mind is so much more unfathom, unfathomable. In fact, the unconscious mind is like what's beneath the surface. The surface is like the conscious, right? Conscious ourselves that is just waiting to be explored, and and from that unconscious space, I believe we actually create our reality at a level that we, you know, people have always said like, oh, you're creating your own reality, but it's, it's, it's too simplistic because it's not, your mind is not conscious. Most of your mind, most of your awareness, most of your existence is unconscious, right? It's the unconscious yeah. uh, beliefs, 
blood, you know, ancestral beliefs, uh, soul, uh, soul karma, soul relationships, um, all these things that it basically exist beyond your immediate awareness. And so being able to explore the ocean, as you say, is also really diving deep. conscious within ourselves right and being able to go there and say okay let's explore this let's really go into my fear let's really go into my uh, belief structure let's go into my behaviors and how can I deconstruct it and recognize well what's you know what's underlying it what's what's at the root and you just keep going deeper and deeper and ultimately you know we find that at the end of the day we are just beings that are love and light but we've been clouded and blocked by so many conditions and uh, people have, be, have, have betrayed us or hurt us or mis mistreated us. And we put up all these barriers and these walls. And ultimately, instead of keeping people out, we've actually locked ourselves within it. Oh, exactly. You know, it's, it's sometimes a fortress and a prison can be the same thing. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I really like what you said um, on one of your videos I was watching about it being a prison planet. Mm -hmm. And... Well, I, I really, I, I really like that. We have a, um, we have a show coming out where I'm going to be reading uh, a lot of my unpublished works, and it's called Model Prisoner. And mm. anyways, it's, it's you'll you'll see it when it comes out. It's uh, we're building the set for it now and everything. It's going to be really neat. But um, I do believe this this has been an engineered plague, and um, I believe that you know it was probably engineered in China to clear off the protesters that were. Uh, you know, on the streets and all, and I, I think they were trying to avoid another Tiananmen Square, because at Tiananmen Square, you know, I don't think it could take place in this day and age like it did, you know, back in the 80s, because the fact that we have the internet now, too much word would get out. Most people don't realize what happened at Tiananmen Square. So I believe they engineered this virus, and I think that it's been capitalized on by other people, and I'm not blaming the Chinese people by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, it was a weapon probably designed to go after them. So, but in any case, uh, everything I've ever read on biological warfare and that sort of thing, I, I've researched it extensively for my books. It does sound like it was engineered. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And the question of, you know, ultimately, you know, the dark cabal, you know, whether it's, you know, basically connected to here, you know, to, to the, the elements here that we know about, you know, um, it's it's difficult it's difficult to know at the end of the day it's not, I think it's more important to realize that I think this is an opportunity and I do exactly. believe what Q talks about I do believe in the patriots I do believe in those that you know I felt it since Trump came to office and he said you know the, he he had a quote about the blood of patriots and and I kind of immediately picked up that there was something going on that's much deeper with Trump than just what people think. And especially the more that they attack him in the mainstream media, the more it makes me believe that he's doing the right things because this, me this media is so backwards. You know, they, they, they were not, these guys are, li are professional liars and they're always wrong. So I, I just right. kind of watch, okay, these guys hate Trump this much. Okay. There's, there's some good things he's doing. So I really believe in the Patriots and I believe that they're doing some, some things behind the scenes and using this opportunity. And, you know, I got to trust that because otherwise, this country is done if, if, if we don't clear out some of these, um, you know, these dark ball elements. Very, very insightful. The um, next thing I would like to talk about is your book and your latest, your latest piece of art to give to the world. And I have, I've, I've listened to it a bit and 
it is absolutely amazing. I mean, I, I really, it, it really blew away my expectations. So let's talk a little bit about it. Sure. Oh, you want me to just uh, talk about it? Oh, let's tell us all about it. Um, yeah, so thank you for the compliment. Uh, Desiderata is uh, called a cosmic fairy tale. Um, I put it out under the pseudonym Ali uh, because it felt like, uh, and there's a certain energy to it that I, I just, um, it, it came from somewhere else, honestly. I channeled it over the course of uh, a certain time period. It was, you know, a few weeks I was writing it. And it's basically a uh, cosmic love story of two people who are sort of in their Eden, their paradise, and they are uh, intercepted by a dark magician, a sorcerer who steals souls, and he's jealous of these two, and so he casts them out into this world, and essentially the world they're cast into is very akin to our own, and we don't really trap her in many different forms. He finds her in the form of, of, his, of, a, of a mother, of a, a friend, of a, a seductress, of a, you know, a lover, uh, you know, the, all these different, uh, different modalities, right? Ultimately realizing that, you know, she is essentially the goddess and he is uh, a god in their own right because their souls are, are, are transcendent of this realm, but they're caught in the struggle of what it is, to, you know, to be human, right? And ultimately, it's the idea that we go through these lives and um, we find these, you know, our soulmates over and over again in different, these different forms. Um, but ultimately, the message, well, there's many messages. I don't, I don't know. I think people should take away what they want from it. But I think the ultimate message is that love is transcendent. And it's always the oneness that, you know, that has to, that supersedes everything if we can just get beyond uh, the you know, it's there for a purpose, it's there for experience. We learn, you know, this planet can be a prison or it can be a school. They can feel the same way. It depends on how, you know, if you love your school or if you hate your school, right? <laughs> uh, and I think that's that's really the point is what can you take away from this journey and ultimately realize that it's only temporary. It's not, this is not permanent. We're not, you know, here on earth to be, you know, to be in love with this physical realm. It's to learn from it and have experiences and explore it and ultimately to uh, to leave it. That's that would be the probably you know if you had to sum up something to tell someone you'd never see again that would help them through life probably that sentence right there. So <laughs> definitely. But your pacing in the book and your tone, everything is just it's just spot on. I mean, you you really ought to stick with that medium. It is great, and you know. I, I would probably attempt an audio book myself one day, but I have to take some accent reduction classes <laughs> so people can understand me. <laughs> you'd be good. You'd be good for like a country, like a Western, like a not Western audio book or something, right? <laughs> oh yeah, totally. I, I got that. I got that down. But you know, um, actually, just a quick story. I went and I, I lived in Canada for a while, and I was I was at a pub and I was talking to a young lady, and, a, and an older man was trying to talk to her too. Well, she got up to use the restroom. The older man leaned into me and said, I've been down south. And let me tell you, your accent's fake. I just want to let you know that you're not fooling anybody. Everybody knows you're faking it. I said, you know what? I think I still got a Georgia driver's license around here somewhere. I can show you. So, you know, if, if it sounds so, that thick that it's fake, there you go. But, um, you know, that's, the uh, – That's too funny. Have you got any other uh, uh, published – works out there or besides you know in uh, audio or text 
Um, yeah, and I was singing as a writer. Uh, I got a New World Order that I, I wrote a few years ago. New World Order is very much in the conspiratorial realm, but all done uh, fact-based and you know researched. We couldn't get, I couldn't get into the um, you know the Illuminati and the black magic kind of aspects of it. I focused really on the politics, and right. uh, it was really about the the political spectrum of the New World Order being a, an emanation or continuation of the British Empire. Basically, the British Empire gobbled America up through the course of uh, the 20th century. And to this day, you know, what people, what, what the dark cabal that people are talking about is really linked to is, you know, they call globalists, right? Like Alex Jones right. calls globalists. Yeah, I mean, these guys, they're not, they don't care about America. They're imperialists. You know, in the old days, you just call them imperialists. They don't care about the American people. They don't care about the Americans. Based upon people like Henry Clay and Henry Carey, you know, the idea that you had a, a relationship to infrastructure and development and industry to build your nation. And, uh, and then, you you know, so there's a, basically there's a nice balance between the private sector, obviously, but there's also, you know, government to support and, and um, stimulate your economy with things like infrastructure projects, right, and things to, right. to uh, connect the people and uh, to bring markets together. So uh, that whole system, that whole school of thought was buried by the British schools of thought, which is the British schools of thoughts are both Marxism, right? Because Marx studied in England and he was trained in England. He was basically, you know, it, he's an extension of the British Empire. And so is uh, Adam Smith. And that whole uh, yeah, I was just saying a lot of the, the modalities of you know, IMF structures and, and uh, you know, and the, the legal legal structures and um, the idea of America having bases all over the world and, you know, having a military presence everywhere and being the policeman, that's all British Empire stuff, man. That's not the American way. So right. I think Newell is a good book to read to remind ourselves, you know, this is all the British taking over the traditional American uh, republic, which is what we are. You know, we're a republic. We're not designed to... to you know, to basically take over the world and be the policeman of the globe. We're designed to be a model for the rest of the world to follow. Well said. I started off um, being very anti-communist when I was young in the 80s. And I was just, oh, everything, you know, communist under every bed, you know, in the bushes, everywhere, communism. And then I figured out as time went by that my problem wasn't necessarily with the communists, it was just with the globalists. That was the aspects of communism I found most frightening was the the globalist um, aspirations of it. And then now, of course, I feel like that, you know, communism, like especially Stalinism, more or less been put to bed, you know, in a global sense, and that they've figured out that, okay, we can still have our way, we just have to use capitalism more, mm -hmm. and that they've continued on that way. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, the so-called uh, neoliberalism, right? That was, you know, to me, the American system is what built America into this great economic powerhouse by the end of World War II, right? And all that industry. And the idea was, you know, this fear of communism, I think it was, uh, you know, yes, this com I'm not a fan of, of communism, but I think it was a lot of it was designed to destroy the uh, benefits they wanted to have um you know, obviously a, a good paycheck. We don't see that anymore, right? You don't, most people don't get, you know, union wages in their lifestyle. So you understand how this, this whole uh, country was sort of ground down from the 70s, uh, really, really when we went off the uh, gold standard, from that time period, Vietnam, gold standard, to now, we've seen our wages just diminished, right? And so they call it like, well, you know, inflation and all that. But really, it's like, you know, when you're, uh, 
I worked a union job, you know, when you're getting paid, you know, 30, 30 bucks an hour or so, um, that's much more helpful for life than if you're being paid minimum wage at less than 10 bucks an hour, right? So right. you have to imagine how the purchasing power of people, we talk about how they, you know, they're not saving up. Well, it's hard to save up in this economy when you're, when you're talking about the rents, the cost of rents, the cost of the insurances, the cost, you know, the cost of just food and basic, um, like it's, there's a reason that most Americans are living on credit and debt. And uh, that's very much the, the modality that was pushed by the financiers, by the banksters, because bankers don't want you to be able to, to you know, how do you say, have an income to pay, out, pay your bills outright. They want you to be living on debt. Right. They want you to be squeezed with with perpetual debt, whereas uh, the business model, the real businessman's model, like a Henry Ford, you know, he was saying, look, I want my workers to have decent wages so they can buy their cars. Right. They can buy their cars outright. They can buy their goods outright. That's not the banker's model. The maker's model is that we don't want you to have real goods, real, real. Uh, sorry, we don't want you to have real wages. We want you to have, uh, you know, basically just access to credit and debt and to be enslaved to our economic system. And that's really what was behind everything, whether it's communism, uh, you know, neoliberalism, you know, capitalism, talking about, you know, people actually having uh, sovereign wages and actually having, you know, a, a decent uh, lifestyle they can afford and actually pay for and own as opposed to owning it on credit or never really owning it themselves. Right. The, um, and I feel like a lot of that is like, you know, the banks are always too looking for people to absorb debt, you know, people who don't mind paying, you know, 30% interest on something, that sort of thing. That, that, that of course, lends to um, a lot of your problems with globalism too. But I can, oh, let me tell you, that identifying that, that should be like, the equivalent of learning to read and write for someone's journey into understanding politics. Understanding right. globalists, you'll, you'll start understanding everything else too, in my opinion. Yeah. And whatever, uh, what other projects are you working on right now? Someone is in, on hold, right? Hold <laughs> with, uh, <laughs> with the global, uh, you know, economy basically on lockdown, or at least American and, and who knows how many countries are on lockdown. So it's going to, it affects, you know, the ability to, um, to make you know the, the films that I want to do and and whatnot, but the actual you know most uh, currently you know we've I've been putting out some YouTube videos on my Conscious Creators channel, um, also on Patreon.com you know doing my uh, meditations, but video, videos just trying to inform people and give people some spiritual insights and clarity. I think it's important to have that guidance to realize that we are not living in uh, you know doom and gloom and this pandemic. It's really not. It's not about that. What's happening right now is, I believe, an end time, uh, literally <laughs> end of time as we know it, uh, inevitability that was scripted long ago. And uh, there's no, uh, there's no stuff is coming to pass. There's a, um, a new world on the other side of it. A lot of uh, Christians, I think, get caught up with the idea of the end times revelations and forget that it doesn't mean the end of the world. It's the end of an old system, an old modality, and the Christ consciousness is here it's it's very present it's 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 already accessible if we just open ourselves to that spirit of love and charity and forgiveness and compassion right all the principles that that were were spread for a reason even though you know i've had a lot of issues with the roman roman catholic church and how they they uh tampered with with 
the texts and the uh, the truth of the message, you know, of, of the Christ message. I do think that the essence of the message is there. It's 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 up to us to embody, to be, to uh, embody, basically in this lifetime. And so uh, I felt I feel like you know opportunity of being as our as each one of us as sovereign beings. And you know I think the future is going to be much more about conscious communities coming together, uh, working together, even as the dark side you know does its ultimately suicide agenda because it cannot create, as I said. So the conscious communities will, you know, see each other, work together, enable each other. Um, and it's going to be an interesting 21st century. Like really this is, you know, this is, there's a reason that these cycles happen. We saw this, you know, basically 20 year cycles for the most part, we see big crises right. around 20 years for a reason, right? 9-11 was about 20 years ago. And now this is the new big crisis, but it's uh, to me, it's actually a much better crisis than having a full-on war, you know, with uh, China or Iran or something like that. Oh, I think it's a much healthier crisis to go through, actually, because it brings people together in a way. I'm really glad we avoided a war for Iran, which uh, I, I'll tell you the truth. I'm not a very political guy. I'm just an artist. But at the same time, I, I vote for the, per, the candidate who's least likely to take us to war. That's usually right. how whoever's – Whoever's doing the least amount of saber-rattling gets my vote. It's kind of yeah. how I do it. And I feel, though, that the um, Islamic world has been sort of a, an excuse for the military-industrial complex to, of course, make more, make more guns, make more tanks, and do their thing. Same as communism was an excuse. And, you know, I really, you know, besides the nuclear aspect of it, I, I believe we're way further away from war with Russia than we, than we ever imagined. And with this, you know, I feel like that us stoking the fires of um, the Islamic the Islamic world, you know, of course, we're, we're seeing actual blood now. And mm. that's what the military industrial complex needs, you know, to, to justify what they do. So and that's just my that's just my thoughts. I, I know I'm learning a lot of my own opinions here. <laughs> but oh, yeah, it, yeah, no. It, it is about, the, you know, I, I look at it like, you know, if we could spend, you say you're an artist, I believe every human being is an artist. I believe every human being is a creator. And I think if we could spend the kind of money we do on the military in the in, to actually uh, towards art, this would be a much healthier planet, right? No, if we could turn it, right? From the art of war into the war of art and actually, you know, it just deploy the artist and everybody. Man, our creativity is so boundless. Humans are so incredible. Like we create solutions to things. Every problem is solvable if you deploy human creativity. But as it is now, the old structure, the system was always designed to keep people in. You know, you offer a solution and you control it, as opposed to saying let people let people follow their own creativity to solve things. You know, we can we can solve the energy thing. We can we have you know we can solve we can got we got free energy. I mean, we would have had it a century ago if we'd let Tesla do his thing. But I believe, that, you know, all these things, whether it's free energy, whether it's, you know, um, the, the nature of, of, of just like how, you know, infrastructure should be designed in America and, um, you know, how, you know, people are in prisons because they're basically not being stoked at a creative level. I mean, everything boils down to our creativity, right? Really, we're, our biggest problems are we're not fostering the human spirit, the human creativity, the human desire for love and connection. And that's really what we are as humans. We're not here to hate each other and live in fear and squalor and, um, you know, like all these artificial realities that have been created to enslave us. You know, it, it's like, that's why I'm so happy to see the system signs. 
and step back and realize maybe that system wasn't healthy in the first place. <laughs> maybe you want to change things up, right? Okay. Get out of that city. Get out, you know, get back to uh, the countryside or, you know, just to a smaller, to a smaller city or a, a town, get back to nature, reconnect to things that matter and realize it, what, maybe that wasn't the job for you. Maybe that wasn't the system for you. And, it's 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 okay and it's like you know people hate when things are disrupted they hate change but sometimes you got to bring everything to a halt to to stimulate that change and realize that there's a i say it like this you can't put on your royal robes if you're attached to a dirty old coat and most people are attached to wearing that dirty old coat right and uh you know it's it's the kind of thing too that I feel like there's a lot of unnecessary things in most people's lives that zap what creative energy they have, and uh, they don't even know how to direct what they have to begin with. So, for instance, um, I feel like there's a lot of things like where we're always consumed with um, consumerism, for instance. Instead of creating something, we go out and buy something, you know, and yeah. – like with you, what what are some things you do to like stoke your creative fires to create creative <laughs> energy? Um, you know, for me, it's never been an issue. Actually, for me, I'm happiest like times like this. I can believe it. Huh? Believe yeah. It. yeah, for me, I'm like you know, I, I can sit and just read and write. For me, reading has always been a tremendous um, uh, opportunity to be to stimulate creativity because. Films, to a certain extent, you know, I enjoy I enjoy watching films, but reading, I find, stimulates my mind in a way I think most people realize, right? When you read, you, you go to different worlds, right? You, like, it's to stoke you, and like, almost like poetry as well, I think, stokes you in a way that can, and music in the same vein of poetry, that can start to visualize for yourself. So I always can tell people, if you're having creative blocks or you don't feel stimulated, um... At a, at, a, at a sonic level and a mental level, read or listen to poetry and good music, not this garbage they put out and they call music. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, mix it up, classical, Eastern. There's music from all over the world. I'm always shocked that, like, there's so much beautiful world music, and then you turn on the radio and it's, like, the same 40 songs over and over. I mean, it you is. know that's controlled and planned, right? That's an old project, right. you know, for the top 40. It was always designed for brainwashing, but there's just so much music out there, right? And then I think going to nature also, like, you know, you go to, you walk in a mountain or you go, you know, you go to the beach and like, not just, you know, to go play volleyball with friends, but like you actually just walk and like listen to the ocean, dive into the water. These are all things. I love music. I wish I could, you know, uh, play the instruments. Uh, but my, you know, my thing is writing and um, storytelling as a, you know, as a, as a. But when you started talking about music, when you started talking about music, a bird started singing almost immediately when you said that. And he was still singing, and, it, and I said, "What a magical interview moment!" And then, then the, the uh, feed broke up right in the middle of the song, right in the middle of what you were saying. Okay, yeah. So, so, so I'm saying that you know, music um, is, is is you know, is for a hike, going to the water, um, listening to the ocean, diving in. I mean, these things are all stimulating. We have so many stimuli around us, and. Again, this is the dark side that wants us to be entangled and enmeshed in our in our smartphones, in our smart cities, in our chips, and our you know, in our data and all this, you know, control apparatus that's superficial. And yes, there's a room for technology. I'm not someone that's like saying, get back to the land and throw away your fo your computer and your phone. I'm just saying that you have to have a balance. There has to be a healthy balance between already the energy and the frequencies 
that are available to us in nature. That's why I'll never be someone that's going to promote, uh, you know, putting chips into my body and turning myself into a transhuman because the human body is a magical thing. And the more you can tap into that and, you know, really explore it, do the Kundalini yoga, do the, you know, do the, the breathing techniques, do the Qigong, start to realize that as you connect to breath, you start to activate and can't even begin to access. It's like our brain. We connect like to 10% of our brain system with our body. We don't really have a full experience with our body. So don't get lost with the idea of, you know, putting yourself into a, a machine to augment your experience. Yeah, you can go into a machine, but don't don't turn yourself into a machine. Very good advice. Well, as far as books go, not the books you've written, but ones you've read recently that really have turned you on, what, what would you say are uh, – your top five on your reading list right now. Oh, man, I've got so many books on my reading list, but we can start with <laughs> some stuff. Um, I've been diving deep into, uh, you know, the sort of the trans transformational literature, I think you could say. Um, yeah. The uh, Mutants and Mystics is pretty cool. Mutants and Mystics by um, uh, Kripal, Jeff Kripal. Uh, a, the, uh, the, book, the books by Whitley Strieber in general, the Communion Series. Wow. Uh, I guess I've been reading a lot of like autobiography, uh, a book called A Player's Tale by, uh, it's an anonymous book, but A Player's Tale was really fascinating, very transformational, spiritual journey. Um, and uh, I'm trying to think because I've, I've been so deep into uh, certain writing, writing processes. Uh, there's a, uh, actually a great story that people should know is Robert Williams' story, who was uh, uh, a black man who took on the KKK in Monroe, North Carolina in the 50s. And he's a tremendous character. Everyone should know about him. There's two great books on him, Radio Free Dixie and Black Crusader. Um, either one is just tremendous read because this this is a guy that every American can resonate with. He's a real hero. I mean, he's the kind of, you know, the, the traditional American that stands up when you're being bullied and told what to do. And he says no. And he took up the right to bear arms. And he was, you know, he did it. And I think that's that. <laughs> kind of we're you know we're being told to be pushovers right we're told to sort of be uh you know just just uh we're, we're told to be soft in a sense um as men and, and not defend ourselves and our rights anymore and it's like if you if you do that you must be an alt-right kind of guy well here's a black man who did it in the 50s and i think he's a great role model for everybody i gotcha well there's um <clears throat> there's a couple of books that um i've been reading recently and I, you know my, my thing is, I always go back, I, I take 10 years off from a book, and then reread it at a different point in life, and, you know, that way, you know, I just see, like, it, it reflects, it kind of helps reflect the changes you've made, the growth, hopefully, mm -hmm. and I, I do that a lot. I've got, golly, I've got books I've had for 30 years that I just still break out and read once in a while, so, you know, that's a good thing. That's, that's, that's the joy of having a humongous library which I do I insulate a house. What's, what's on your reading list right now? What, give me some suggestions. Oh, right now, to tell you the truth, I have been reading, I'm a, I'm a heathen, and I read a lot of, um, a lot, I read a lot of heathenry. And, um, Kyle, there's one, I don't even know if I should say the name of it. It's, it's really over the top. <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, it's it's a really controversial name. It's uh, Jesus Christ was a coward. I'm reading that, hmm. and uh, I'm probably gonna lose some fans there, but get some angry emails. But is I'm it, reading. I'm just reading. Is it a, non, is it a nonfiction or a fiction? Uh, it's a nonfiction. Uh -huh. It's uh, 
it's it's Go ahead, so tell far, me. It's, it's a pretty it's, it's so far it's okay and uh then i'm reading um of course i'm always stuck in my mythology books i'm reading an old uh, paperback called war day which is about world war three and then uh there's a pretty cool kind of coffee table type book called uh, diseases and treatments which is surprisingly scary especially in this day and age mm. so and then um you know of course i always i read these and i beat myself back up all the time that's alligator queen that's my latest one and then bearing the coast is another one of mine oh, and, cool. uh, i um i've written i've got four out but um i'm about to come out the 10th anniversary edition of my my uh premiere novel it's cruel new world so and uh, you know i gotta i gotta plug myself every down again so i'm rereading cruel new world and uh it's pretty much what's happening right now just it was 10 years ago i wrote the book so there you go well it's a pun on brave new world and that was certainly the talk about the you know the dark addled uh, saves who love our servitude actually that was Aldous Huxley said you know we can perfect the mind control into the, yep. the place where slaves love their servitude well that's what Brave New World was uh, Brave New World was about um, and uh, it's interesting though you mentioned that the Christ was a coward book because you know there's a great uh, book well there's a bu bunch of books but one in particular called Caesar's Messiah and it gets into how the Roman Romans deployed the Christian teachings to yep. actually suppress the Jews. And the idea is that, you know, the Christ teachings of the New Testament um, are basically, you know, not, uh, they're not adversarial towards the Romans. They're basically uh, pacifists towards the Romans who were the imperial conquerors. They were conquering. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Huh? Right. Give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Exactly. So it's sort of, it's like this is a, against the Roman occupation and imperialism and uh, and then ultimately you know the Romans destroy the temple they sack the city they take the gold they disperse the the, the inhabitants and then they promote essentially uh, this you know Christianity even though they say they don't but actually if you really look deeper um, it was probably Josephus and other uh, Jews like like Josephus who became uh, part of the Roman Empire right they became part of the Roman oligarchy and probably wrote the New Testament essentially to um, to basically tell the Jews, all right, your Messiah has already come. <laughs> it's over. He's, he's basically said you're, you're going to suffer, you know, kind of like, you know, with like Babylon. It's like, okay, we're going to, you know, you're going to be captured now and it's the end of Jerusalem. And uh, so it's very interesting, actually, if you look at that, that argument that there was definitely a Roman intention to use the Messianic, right, at least um, the, the, the Jewish uh, revolt and to spread a pacifist religion, essentially. Um, and ultimately, you know, does it take over Rome? And, and I think Christianity has beautiful things to it. I'm not saying that there's no Christ consciousness. I believe in that. Uh, I believe in the character of, of the Christ, even though I don't know, I don't believe the story that's given to us in the New Testament is, is the, is the well, full he's story. Really, he's really archetypical, arch you know? Right. And, um, you know, that that's true of, you know, all, all religions, I guess, you have to have your your archetypes in place. And I think so many things have been switched around between modern Christianity and Gnostic Christianity that it's, it's the water's so muddy, I don't, you know, you don't even know where to look. Yeah. So, but, you know, here we're, we're a heathen household. And of course, I've always got my patron god, Braggy. Who is that? 
He's the god of uh, poetry and eloquence. And I, uh, I actually we have a we have an altar here, and I brought I brought the uh, statuette in to kind of help me along for the interview. So yeah, you know yeah, as, as a, as a yeah. totem. Exactly. I mean, the idea is, I, I think people have gotten so dogmatic about this stuff and, you know, insane about it, where it's like, you know, we look for inspiration, you know, the idea of, of, of inspiration from, uh, from the different archetypes and the different, you know, they call them gods, but I don't think it's, it's like a, God is such a, it's a word that's been so bastardized <laughs> that True. people don't really understand. It actually began God. If you look it up, gaudy, it's a fake thing. It's an ornamental fake thing, actually. If you look up the old English of what God comes from, a fake thing. So I think people are kind of caught up with the wrong word. Um, there's a spiritual hierarchy. I think there's many beings, many entities. You know, we're in the interdimensional universe. I believe that there's all, everything you can imagine exists at the same time. That's neither male nor female. It's not, you know, a man in the sky with a beard. It's not a woman goddess. It's just literally is. It's an energy form that has given birth to all of this, and it's, you know, neither man nor woman, uh, but it creates all existence. And then there's many other beings that come in in between. And humans, believe it or not, we are pretty divine beings. We just we just don't tap into our divinity because we kind of get uh, brainwashed into believing that we're just this low creature and, uh, you know, in these societal structures that, again, are designed to enslave us. I agree. I believe that uh, jealousy is a really uh, a really negative thing to have in spirituality. And I believe that, you know, you should take what you can from everything, really. I mean, I, I, I have found a lot of uh, wisdom in Krishna consciousness, for example. And the Bhagavad Gita is like, you know, one of my favorite, favorite texts. I mean, I just, you know, Song of God, and I find a lot of wisdom in that, for instance. If I'd have been very dogmatic and said, oh, no, you know, it's my ancestral gods or nothing, then I'd have never, I'd have never found all that wisdom that I feel like really helps me in day-to-day -day life. So and I just I believe that, you know, mainstream religion and whatnot, uh, the jealousy involved and the, um, the dogma that goes along with it, uh, that really causes problems for people's spiritual growth. Exactly. That's why I've always been someone that challenged it. You know, I, I said I accept Islam because I believe again it's the, it comes from the same principle as every other uh, religion. You know, and so when people when people said heard that they're like, oh, he's a Muslim now and this and that. It's like, no, we're not here to divide. I'm here to unite. I'm here to say that everyone, we all come from the same source, and it doesn't matter. You know, whether you practice that through Hinduism, through through Buddhism, through uh, Islam, Judaism, Christianity saying you are open spiritually to the teachings then you know that's a beautiful thing but it's like when you use that teaching to control others that's satanic that's the side that i believe is is satanic even within the religions i don't care if you claim that you're you know christian then you say if you're you know i'm going to kill you because you believe something else or i'm going to use my religion to kill you that's satanic because you're claiming to be god as opposed right. to what religion is it's an attempt to to better understand god right to better understand that connection to source we're trying to be you know to, to really be better be human beings if you can use your spiritual teachings and your religion to become a better human being more power to you if you try to use that to lord over other people that's the dark side exactly i've always said that your walk of god or gods that's your own walk by yourself nobody can make it with you your walk of man that's all of our business that's it. <laughs>
tell you, it has been a really good interview, and I really appreciate you coming on and talking to all of our readers. And once again, folks, you got to check out Buzzsaw. I'm telling you. <laughs> I know that Buzzsaw is something that I don't care who you are and what you're all about, you'll enjoy Buzzsaw. And that that's actually, that's that's where I discovered you. I didn't realize I'd seen you on all these other movies, not not knowing who I was seeing, of course, which is, you know, true of any movie, I guess. But um, uh, Buzzsaw is just amazing. So, but I have certainly enjoyed the interview, and I really appreciate the opportunity. 